Good evening. I have inside of me, and you may inside of you have these combating ideas, these combating desires of what I want to be, what I should be, what I think that God designed me to be. And over here, I have these these things of, of, of what I am drawn to and what pulls me down and what screams my name and what, and what, what, what just is constantly nagging at me, these things that, that, that I'm also drawn to that I, 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 I can't step away from. I struggle to not go down this path, but I wanna be over here, but I find myself creeping over here. We hear that from the apostle Paul. He said, I, 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 I know what I want, but my flesh pulls me here. I want rock hard abs, so bad. I want rock hard abs. You can talk to my wife about how badly I wish I, I've never had that. Even as a little kid, I've always had this squish. Always. I want it so bad, but not as bad as I want that extra piece of pizza. Cause I really want the extra piece of pizza. And, 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 and I'm drawn to it to the point that I've got these combating ideas and these, this dream of the ideal Zeus-shaped guy is over here where we have what, what my wife likes to call uh, that came out of my mouth at a moment of weakness, this dog biscuit-shaped guy instead of a Zeus-shaped guy. So I have these combating ideas. And... What I'm doing is sitting in the middle and tolerating compromise. Tolerating compromise. Tonight, we're gonna look at a church that is tolerating compromise. They know what they should be. They know the scripture. They know what the, what the apostles are teaching. They know what Jesus taught about what church looks like but they're letting these other beliefs, these belief systems that are not of God, these traditions and rituals, if you will, things made up by man, not made up by God or not provided by God, are getting into their Christian faith and they're tolerating it instead of saying, step back, Satan, you are not of God. I wanna talk about tonight, what it looks like in this church of Pergamum to tolerate compromise and how we do that in and of ourselves. And, and my, my real question for you tonight is uh, for you to, to think about as we look at this church is, is where in your life are you tolerating compromise and what in your life do you need to repent of as a Christian? We repent and we get saved, but we still need to continually repent of places, times whenever we fail and God reveals that to us and say, Lord, I'm back and I'm sorry. So my question for you tonight, as you ponder and as you allow the spirit to speak to you, is are you tolerating compromise in your life, in your spiritual 
walk with Christ? And if so, are you willing to repent of that? To turn 180 degrees and run towards God instead of towards the compromise? Please pray with me and then we'll get to work. Open up Revelation 2, 12 to 17 if you want to look it up. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you so much for meeting us here. I love you. I praise you. God, I pray your Holy Spirit will come and will speak on my behalf. And we hand this service over to you once again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been working through this series um, through a small but very important part of the book of, of Revelation. And what happens in Revelation just to quickly introduce again and highlight this, uh, what happens in Revelation is that Jesus speaks to seven churches, seven literal churches within seven literal ancient cities that are found kind of on what is Asia Minor, what is like a, what is modern day Turkey. And by studying these letters, we can get a better understanding of of what God expects for the church. And what we, uh, when we're aware of these pitfalls that we could fall into, then we can be aware of what we might run into. And then we can say, okay, well, we want to go this way. Or, okay, so God corrected this church. And he, he said, I see where you're going. I see where you're making mistakes. But I need you to do this to fix it. Or I see what you're doing right but I see what you're doing wrong, so you need to fix this. And we can take these ideas and put them in for ourselves and what it looks like in our context. So the story begins in Revelation 1 when all the disciples, except for John, have died brutal deaths, martyrs' deaths. And John was a big deal. John was Jesus' beloved disciples. Many of you know this. He was like really like a kid brother to Jesus. I mean, they were close. He really loved Jesus, and Jesus really loved him. Uh, he was part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. So everything cool and really important that happened in Jesus' life when we read throughout the Gospels, uh, John was, was a part of that, and John was welcomed into that. And they were so close that, that, that even from the cross— while being crucified, Jesus looks down at John and says, hey, will you look after my mother when I'm gone? That's close. You're going to trust your mother with your best of the best, right? And this is John. So what happened in the following years after the cross, the, these non-Christians are working their tails off to stomp out Christianity. And they're, they're, they're trying to murder everybody that claims Christ. And they tried to murder John. In fact, they, they, they put him in, they tried, to, they tried to boil him alive in a vat of oil, but he didn't die. So when he didn't die, they, they exiled him to, to the island of Patmos. And, and, and he's, he's up there and history presumes that John was in a cave on the top of Patmos on the Lord's day, it says in the scriptures, which would, basically, which would be Sunday morning. And he's on atop of this mountain in a cave on an island all by himself away from his church on a Sunday morning. And in that place, Jesus shows up and comes down in a magnificent way that, is, that he's never seen him before in such a magnificent and powerful way, an awesome way that John falls on his face in worship as a dead man in complete worship and complete fear of God. 
that's love. That's fear. That's, that's absolute worship. That's, that's total respect for this savior of his. And Jesus speaks to John and he gives him the seven letters to the seven churches. So if you have a red letter Bible, meaning if there's red letters, it's Jesus's words. This entire section is in red because these aren't John's words. When John wrote his gospel, you see a lot of Jesus's words, but you also see a lot of John's words in in black of his actual writing. So these are actually the words of Jesus coming to to, to the churches. And we learn from these from these letters that Jesus is actually paying attention to our church. Jesus is watching. See, the church doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to us. But every local church ultimately belongs to Jesus. This is his show, not my show, not your show. If, if you're a tither, that doesn't make it yours. If you sing in the praise team, that doesn't make it yours. If you've ever been the speaker or if you've ever helped with kids, that doesn't make it yours. Yeah, we say this is our church, but this is ultimately belongs to Jesus' church. And he knows what we're doing and he knows what we're not doing. And he has a very strong opinion about that. He's paying careful attention to how faithful we are and how unfaithful we are. And one thing that's echoed throughout these letters is that that, that God has assigned an angel to every church. That this, the message isn't that, hey, we're sending this message to the pastor or the elder or the, the board president or any other physical leader, but we're sending this to the angel that's sitting somewhere around here, somewhere off in the corner and, and watching us and, and keeping a look on us. So I presume that One Life Church and, and, and really any church that you attend or have have ever attended in the past or or as long as that church is not spiritually dead an angel is present a spirit being that God created and assigned and commissioned to the purpose of protecting and leading and serving that local church and and we want him to make good reports to Jesus that's a big hairy deal we want to operate under the leadership of the Holy Spirit so that our angel is reporting to Jesus faithfulness. Faithfulness, not compromise. See, tonight we're looking at a church within a city of the a church within the great city of Pergamum. Let me tell you a little bit about Pergamum and then we'll read the scriptures. Pergamum was one of the great cultural centers of the day. See, they had a lovely fountain and a theater and a pool and a medical building and temples, and they had a very large library. In fact, in fact, the king of, in Pergamon wanted to build a library that would rival Alexandria, the big deal library. They wanted to rival that. But when he tried to do that, he was hindered because there was a, an Egyptian embargo on papyrus. So instead, being he was so committed to this mission that he instead started producing parchment. See, this is before Johnsonburg had a paper mill, okay? This, this is a few years before, uh, is it Domar paper? This is before that happened. So we're still papyrus and parchment, okay? And, and they've got uh, all these manuscripts written over 200,000 volume library in, in ancient Turkey, 
Now the city was built on a, a hill, a, a thousand feet high, which was not very high for here. And it's certainly not very high if you go out west. But if you go to Turkey, that's a pretty high elevation. And it created this natural fortress for them. So, so we had the wealthy people on the hill and the, the lower class people on the lower elevation and, and they kind of could look down and then the poor people would go up there to get healing and to get certain things that they, that they needed. And, and they, had a, they had one of the steepest amphitheaters in, in the entire ancient world. This place is sophisticated. This place is, is a center for culture and education, but a center for cults as well. See, people came here for healing from, from gods, lowercase g, gods. They came here for, for partying and brothels and entertainment and music and shows. And frankly, it's kind of like a Vegas of the day, the Vegas of the region. People would travel to Pergamum to do things that they shouldn't do. It's the what happens in Pergamum stays in Pergamum, right? See, within this picture of this city on a hill that has great things happening, but has some bad things happening, we find just like we would in, in, in modern day Vegas, or just like we would in, in New York City, amongst all of these things happening, even here in, in Punxsy, amongst all of these, these economic things happening and these, and these negative things happening morally and these ethical things that things are, things, some things are good, some things are or are not of God, but within all of this happening, we find this small group of faithful Christians. And very faithful Christians. They have some things they're commended for, but then they have some things that they're not, and they're, they're, they're rebuked for. But let's look at what Jesus says to them in Revelation 2, chapter 12, or chapter 2, 12 to 17. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. That's a slam right there. Yet you hold fast to my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And we read, we read about them in Ephesus. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Amen. I went with white letters, but that was red letters. So as we've seen throughout these letters, Jesus introduces himself with a new name and a new way each time. See, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Just a few verses earlier in 116, we read that that sword is coming actually from his mouth. And the sharp two-edged sword represents that God's ultimate authority and 
judgment lies in, in himself. Someone, see, someone who has the sword, they can either defend or they can attack. And I want Jesus defending me. I want him on my side. I want him on the side of our church. I want him to, to, to not be against me, but to be for me. And he's got that power, that authority, that, that judgment force, that judgment right. See, when we first get saved and then ongoing in our faith, we, we're putting our trust in Jesus and the word of God and how the word Jesus, the word made flesh evaluates us. He's evaluating us. He's, he, he has the right, he has the authority to look at us and, and, and say, okay, this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is not right. This is what I said, this is not how I said it. This is not what I meant. See, the Bible, the Bible written thousands of years ago by men inspired by God is alive and active. And I harp on this a lot. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. See, it's alive and active. And you can read the Bible and it, it judges whether or not you, you love your spouse or whether or not you are generous or you love your neighbor or you are prideful or you love God the way that he calls us to. And it shows us this, but then it can also judge and evaluate our thoughts and our hearts and our, our spiritual condition. It's been said that as we read the word of God, we must allow it to read us. Say, Lord, what do you have for me? What's the Spirit saying to me today as I read your scriptures? See, Jesus isn't only watching, but he's ready to correct and to reprove so that we can, can, can better live as he calls us to live and better reflect Christ as, as we live our lives and as we serve him and as our church hangs a sign that says we are a, a Jesus worshiping church this is what we're about we are unapologetically this Jesus sees whether or not what's really happening here is about him now the first thing Jesus does just like he does to all these churches is he affirms the positive he leads with the positive I'd love to be a person that always just leads with the positive instead of like okay okay this let me tell you what's wrong with this event now let me tell you how to fix it okay yeah yeah you did a couple things good over here I want to be the the person that leads with the positive it's a great thing see the believers in Pergamum they held fast to Christ's name and they didn't deny him when things got a little hairy now I feel like because we did first Peter and now we're doing these churches I feel like we kind of hit this persecuted church thing a lot. So if you kind of, if you kind of get tired of that, I apologize. I don't mean to do that. It's just kind of what just, we keep going and we keep bumping into that. Um, but verse 13, he says, hey, I know where you live. I know that you live where Satan has a throne. Now, now Satan doesn't necessarily, doesn't really have a throne. It's more like, it's more like Satan is, is present there a lot because there are a lot of things going on there. And he lives there a lot because, because there are so many people ushering him in with this evil, with these gods and goddesses and these Greek mythology and all of that stuff. But he said, through all of that, you remain true. Even though Antipas got killed, you didn't renounce your faith. They held fast. Think about how big of a deal it is to hold 
fast to your faith in a place like Pergamum in, in a time when, when Christians are being, for lack of a, of a more brutal word, slaughtered. And they're holding fast to their faith and they have this Christian there that, that they're friends with probably that is faithful until death. In this city where Satan rules, where Satan dwells, they're faithful. Now, if you come to me and you say, hey, hey, Ponxi is now awarded as the place where Satan lives. What are you going to do? You're probably going to get out of Dodge, right? Like, I'm ready to move out of this city. I don't want to live in a place that is ruled and, and it has Satan's throne is here. He dwells here. This is where he hangs his hat. I don't want to live in that city. I'm pretty quick. I'm going to get up and, and get out of here, right? Or you're going to go out on the street corner and start preaching Jesus and say, hey, we got to get a little bit more gospel in here because things are getting ugly. But where are you going to go if you're the one that goes? There's no place to go that we can totally escape evil, that, that we can even escape the Lord's presence. See, Psalm 139, you probably know this well. You guys are all great biblical students. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee your presence? I go up to the heavens and you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. God is everywhere. And evil is, is, is always there. It, it's not Satan. He can't be everywhere at one time like God can, but he's a, because he's a created being and he has limited knowledge and, and limited reach that, and he's on a tight leash that God is controlling, but he's got demons that are out and they're coming into cities like Pergamum and cities like Ponxi. And, 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 and most of us won't, use, won't in our lives directly most of us probably will not directly face Satan, but will deal with spiritual warfare with his demons, some of us on a regular basis. It's just part of the Christian life. So I have a healthy respect for Satan and his demons. But because I'm a friend of God, because I'm a Christian, I'm not worried about fighting those battles. I'm just gonna stay out of the way and say, God, take care of this. I'm gonna step back and say, Lord, please, I can't do this without you. I need you to, to, to war this for me. But Pergamum, they qualified for real. They qualified for real to be a place of Satan. This Antipas guy that we're talking about, Jesus called him a faithful witness. See, I misread that this week at one point. I thought it said favorite witness. And I was like, oh, that's quite the honor. But it says faithful witness. He was faithful till death. And church tradition, I'm a, I, I, I've read the Voice of the Martyrs, the persecuted church, um, stories about uh, Richard Wormbrand and his time in Russia during the, during the communism era and there's some incredible, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching stories of, of men who, who, who just, they, they went to their, to their death and stayed faithful. 
And he, he, he was preserved out of that to record these things and to start and, and let the non-persecuted areas to, to understand that and see that and be able to support that. But this guy Antipas in a hostile area, he's suspected as a physician to secretly be spreading Christianity and secretly casting demons out but demons that are being worshipped, evil that's being worshipped by the locals. And when they caught him, they, they condemned him to death and they, they slow roasted him in, in, a, in a copper steer, like a, like a, a bull-shaped co- copper slow roaster. And you know, we have brothers and sisters all over the world that are risking their lives by doing just those things in countries where Christianity is illegal all the time. But we praise God that we can meet here tonight and we don't have to think about that. We don't have to worry about that as we stand at the moment of the government coming in and saying, you're not allowed to worship this Jesus. We've got freedom of religion that was originally freedom of denomination and now it's freedom of religion and eventually we're probably gonna be freedom of any religion but Christianity and it's just constantly spinning on us. This man was bold and faithful as they heated up that copper bowl to be red hot. You don't think he could have just denied his faith and stepped out of there? He could have said, you know what, I I don't need this. But he chose to stay put. And and, and because of that, and because of that, Jesus looks at him and says, you are my faithful witness. You're a big deal in my church. And he earned that award for, as, as as as, as as a commendation for the Pergamum church. But even though this church was faithful, even though this church was strong, they weren't perfect. Jesus endorsed certain attitudes, but he saw where they struggled and he took note of their sin. They weren't perfect. He said, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You're holding fast. Antipas represented you well. But you're tolerating compromise. And let me show you what I mean by that. He says, some of your churches, I don't know how well you versed you guys, I had to study this. Um, Some of your church members are holding to the teaching of of, of the prophet Balaam. See, just like the church in Ephesus, they're, they're, they're being Christians, but they're also throwing in all of this Nicolaitan stuff, this, this extra stuff over here. They're packing it onto their Christianity. You're doing that. Some are doing it the same way as they are, but some of you are doing this the way that Balaam did. And if you want to study the teaching of Balaam, it, it's, it's briefly explained in the context that we read. But if you want to read his story and you're taking notes, it's Numbers 22 to 25. The book of Numbers in the Old Testament, 22 to 25, you can get the whole story of Balaam. And I'm going to tell you a little about, about who he is. You know, if Jesus sent 
a letter to you or to me or to this church, there's a lot of Old Testament characters that I would love to be compared to. There's some really great stories out there. Like Daniel and the lion's den, the man that, that prayed faithfully at his window, even though he knew that they had made it illegal for him to do so. And he knew that he was gonna get arrested and he knew that there was a chance that meant lion's den and he still prayed faithfully. And then whenever they sent him down to the lion's den, God shut the mouths of those lions and he turned them into common house cats. I would love to get a letter for our church or just for me. I'm being selfish here, but I would love it if Jesus sent me a letter and said, hey, you're a lot like Daniel. You're doing good. Or what about King David? I mean, the man, the man was a man after God's own heart. He messed up pretty frequently. I mean, he did the whole adultery thing and then have her husband killed on the front lines because he couldn't cover it up. And, and but, but but then he repents of that and he comes back to God. And he says, like, that's, that's the coolest thing about David is it's not that he was perfect. It's that he repented. It's that he said, hey, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm lamenting about this. I'm apologizing for this. I'm repenting of this. I'm out. God, take me back. I don't want to do that again. I'm sorry I left you down. And he comes back and he's King David. And the only thing he missed out on is he didn't get to build his temple. Solomon got to build the temple because of David's sins. But I would love to get a letter from God that said, hey, you're a lot like King David. That'd be really cool. I'd be all over that. But, but Jesus says Balaam. And you know who Balaam was? He was a wicked prophet in the Bible. Now that's noteworthy because he wasn't, a false prophet, he didn't pretend to hear from God. He did hear from God, but he was a wicked prophet. He didn't always, he, he didn't give the same true prophecies that God gave him. He didn't follow through and just listen to God. He got word from God. He wasn't faking it, but then he would say something else. His heart was not quite right with God. And eventually he shows his true colors by betraying Israel and leading them astray. Here's the highlights of the story. The king of the people who were enemies of Israel, they tried to hire Balaam to curse Israel. But when he prayed about it, God said, no. So he said to the king, no, I'm not doing that. But then the king came back and he offered more money to do this. So Balaam decided, okay, you know, I'm gonna ask God permission one more time. Maybe God will hook me up. Maybe God will take care of this. So when he went back this time, God granted him permission to go. But when he set out, God was angry and blocked his way. I don't know God's motive, but God was angry and blocked his way. And this is the one place in the Bible where, where God causes a donkey to talk. Yeah, that's weird. I accept that that's weird. And, and, and most Christians that I know don't believe that donkeys talk on a regular basis, right? But I do believe that if God wants a donkey to talk, he don't make it talk. Because he made it. If he wants your house cat to talk, he's going to make it talk. 
If he wants you to not be able to talk, he's going to shut your mouth. We see that for John the Baptist's dad. He's God. So the donkey stops Balaam and apparently, apparently God will let you go if you choose to disobey his direction, but he's still gonna be upset whenever you go without his, without his, his command. It's called free will. See, God knows the right way, but you and I don't have to choose the right way, but God will show us the right way. So after listening to the donkey, Balaam spoke four blessings over Israel and he upset the king who was paying him to speak curses over Israel. So Balaam followed the king again and he helped him to devise a plan to ensnare Israel. He followed the money. And when Joshua showed up, he killed him or had him killed. And Peter tells us in 2 Peter 2.15 that Balaam's sin was to sell his power to the highest bidder. He loved the wages of wickedness. He loved the wages of wickedness. He was compromising his true convictions for money. He was compromising his true convictions, his true calling, his true gifts to get ahead in this world, to keep the king happy. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew what he should do. He knew what God was telling him to do. He knew the standard. He knew the calling. But he still got to sit in the middle and make a choice. He still got to decide, is this what I want? Or is this what I want? And he chose the wages of wickedness. He compromised. Did, was he a prophet who God spoke to? Absolutely. Did he hear from God? Absolutely. Did he have a choice to listen to God or not to listen to God? Absolutely. And he followed the money trail. This is the guy that Jesus is comparing the Christians in Pergamum to. When we talked about Ephesus, I mean, everything was cool in Ephesus. Like they're super faithful. You guys are doing awesome. The only, you, you're so good at doing church, but here's where you missed is you don't, you, you lost your first love. You're not just here to praise Jesus anymore. It's now it's about doing church good and doing the rituals and the traditions but this church, they're holding fast. But God comes in and says, hey, you're a lot like this, this Balaam guy. You've got, you've got people in your church that are claiming Christ, but then they're also doing things like Balaam would have done, which means, hey, I'm doing it for the money. I'm doing it for the fame. I'm, I'm, I hear what you're saying, but I, I got this other plan. They're following it in the wrong way direction. Balaam compromised. And this church was tolerating compromise, religious compromise and moral compromise. He's blending the qualities of two different 
ideas. See, we're supposed to be a people as much as we can to, to cooperate with other people, but, but, to, but, but we're to avoid any alliance or partnership or participation that could lead to compromising our gifts or compromising our faith or compromising our moral biblical standards. And, and who we are and what we're standing for and, and, and that we stand on scripture, not scripture and this and not scripture and that. They're making compromise. So my question to you tonight, that I ask at the beginning, in your Christian life, do you find yourself making compromise that you need to repent of? Not to me, to God. I can know if you want me to know, but I don't need to know. See, the Bible makes it clear that, that God does not condone compromising his standards. But what do we do? Did you know that you know? Did you know that Christians can still sin? Did you know that you're forgiven for your sins, the ones you already did, the ones you maybe have just done, and the ones that you're about to do, and the ones that you're going to do in ten years? That that the cross covers all of that. You don't fluctuate in and out of salvation minute by minute. That's not grace. That's not the gospel. But you do still have a tendency. Now you can live a life without sin. There's many examples where, where, where sin is a choice and God says, go and live, or go and sin no more. Or Jesus says, go and sin no more. I, I, sin is a lot of times a choice, not just a mistake. But what's it look like when we compromise? We say, well, this is just gonna happen one time. I, I, I'm, I'm only going to do this one time. And then, oh, it just happened again. But that's okay. But then before you know it, it's one time becomes two times, becomes three times, because becomes weekly, becomes every other day, becomes daily, becomes, now this is just what we do. God's grace is big enough to cover everything. I'm good. But we gotta draw a strong line. We gotta draw a strong line between God's standards and the world's sin. And say, I'm gonna be over here. I'm gonna be with God. I'm gonna be, be with the guy with the sword that can, can defend me. And then when it comes time to judge me, he's gonna look and say, okay, Jesus is on his side. I forgave that a long time ago. Come on. There's grace in everything. But Jesus says, repent. Not tolerate. Not like these, these weight loss shows. You watch these extreme weight loss shows and Biggest Loser. I watch this stuff every now and again. And you always have that one contestant that's like sneaking candy bars in their bedroom, right? They, they kind of hide everything in these secret pockets. They want the big weight. They want like I want. They want the abs. They want freedom. But they also want the candy bar. They also want all of this over here because 
oh, it tastes so good. And there are churches out there that, that preach that. Just, just get saved and then go have a good time. God's grace can cover that. Well, yeah, it can. But if that's what you're living for, I got some questions about what kind of grace you really accepted. If you really, that's the big question, right? That's what everybody says. You really get saved. Show me your fruit. And if your fruit looks an awful lot like what life was before salvation, I don't see a distinct change. When you repent, it means 180 degrees. I'm going towards Jesus instead of towards Satan. Instead of towards my flesh. But even as Christians, sometimes we compromise. And that's what I want you to think about tonight and pray. Is there anything in your life that you need to repent of? Because I want you to live a life on fire for God. Our church isn't this building or the new building. Our church is made up of a body of believers. It's made up of each and every one of us. That's our church. And so whenever this, when Jesus sends this letter to the church in Pergamum, it's not just to the leaders. It's not just to whatever house or building or, or field that they were meeting in under the nice, the nice canopy. No, it's to the individual souls and says, hey, some of you guys are compromising. Some of you have some things you need to repent of. Some of you are making religious compromises. Some of you are making moral compromises. Next week, the church in Thyatira, they make a lot of sexual immorality compromises. Are you all in? and living on fire for me? Or are you all in and you want what I got, but you're still doing all of this? Because I have spent way too much time in my Christian life over in this when I should have been over here and it could have changed the trajectory of my life. That's my question for you tonight. That's my prayer. Please pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this message to the church in Pergamum and the, the many lessons of which we didn't even touch on every lesson that's in there. There's so much more to be had. But God, I thank you for that church and their faithfulness that they held fast to your name even when Antipas was being a faithful witness and being, being martyred for your name, they still stuck around. And I thank you, Lord, that you saw that in them, but then you also said, hey, I got some things I need to point out to you. You can be better. I have higher standards than that. I thank you, Jesus, for that. And I pray, Lord, for each person here that, that they'll take a moment to allow you to, to, to examine their hearts, that they'll, they'll get into your word and get into prayer and say, God, is there anything in me that I need to repent of? Is there anything in me that is tolerating compromise? Or am I 
truly 100% yours? Is it that thing that I did last week? Should I have not done that? Was that a mistake? Did I not repent of that? Did I say, God, take that away? Forgive me, I don't wanna do it again. And am I gonna let that eat away at my marriage or am I gonna repent of it and, and fix it? Am I gonna repent to you, Lord, and then also say, okay, there are some people in my life that were hurt by that and I need to go to them. I don't need to go to the pastor or to all of my friends or all of their friends. I just need to go to the person that I hurt whenever I made this choice. I gotta give it to God and then just say, hey, I'm sorry to the person who's hurt. Lord, show us what true repentance looks like not just salvation, but even within the Christian life so that we can live as purely for you as humanly possible by the Spirit. Oh God, we love you and we praise you. I thank you for each person here and I pray that you will examine their hearts, that they will allow you to examine theirs. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.